amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 106.5 FM. Catch us on KCAARadio.com anytime. That's Fly Music Radio, NBC, KCAA Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000, but the most you'll get from government benefits is $255. How will your family pay the difference? We can help. Our senior plans start as low as just a dollar a day and pay up to $30,000 for a funeral and other final expenses. Peace of mind is easy. There's no medical exam. You'll have lifetime coverage, and your plan can't be canceled as long as you pay your premiums. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Plus, call right now and we'll give you a discount prescription card for free. Call 800-327-1660. That's 800-327-1660. Again, 800-327-1660. California headline news. Huntington Harbor has been shut down because of 60,000 gallons of sewage that spilled into the water from a blocked sewer line in the city of Stanton. The Orange County Health Care Agency says the water is closed to swimmers, surfers, and paddleboarders until testing shows a safe water quality. Jeopardy host Alex Trebek released a new video on his health. He said he has gone through a lot of chemotherapy, which is now over, and he is on the mend. On the video, Trebek says he is looking forward to the 36th season of Jeopardy. We have some exciting things coming up, and I can't wait to share them with all of you. Let me tell you, it's going to be a good year. Trebek announced in March that he had been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And a Coast Guard ship returned to the Port of Los Angeles today. On board was more than a ton of cocaine seized from drug smugglers in the eastern Pacific Ocean. 2,800 pounds is a considerable amount of cocaine. When you consider this is pure cocaine, it's uncut in its form. Some of the cocaine was actually found in bundles floating in the ocean. Steve Clawson, California News. With pro baseball exiting the dog days of summer, up next, the excitement of the playoffs. We're talking Little League World Series in today's Geico Sports Now. It's this week's Geico Sports Now. 
the pros are playing for the million-dollar paycheck, the kids are simply playing for the love of the game. This year's 73rd edition ran for just under two weeks, featuring eight teams from the U.S. and eight teams from around the world. So hats off to this year's winner. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Prescription pain meds are great for treating certain kinds of pain, but they also carry the risks of overdose and addiction. Your pain is real, but so are the risks. For more information, call 800-662-4357. That's 800-662-4357. Or go to therisksareal.cdph.ca.gov. That's therisksareal.cdph.ca.gov. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. President Trump will not be traveling to Poland this weekend because of Hurricane Dorian. He says his highest priority is the safety and security of the American people. Dorian is likely to miss the southeastern and central Bahamas tonight. The latest update of the storm by the National Hurricane Center says the storm is moving at 13 miles per hour and heading northwest. They project it could reach Category 4 status when it reaches the U.S. coast Monday morning. Former FBI Director James Comey thinks an apology would be nice. Comey tweeted that comment Thursday after the release of a government watchdog report on his handling of personal memos about interactions with President Trump. Comey noted that the Justice Department Inspector General found no evidence that he released any classified information in the memos. The report said Comey violated official policy in his handling of the memos. Comey tweeted, I don't need a public apology from those who defamed me, but a quick message with a sorry we lied about you would be nice. Tom Roberts. NBC News Radio. Ten candidates will take the stage for the next Democratic presidential debate. The debate taking place in Houston on September 12th will feature former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Bernie Sanders, and Senator Elizabeth Warren. The debate will be broadcast on ABC. The latest poll from Quinnipiac University is asking respondents about climate change, guns, and prejudice in the United States. Poll analyst Mary Snow says a clear majority of registered voters favor increased gun control. Overall, we see 72 percent of registered voters saying that Congress needs to do more to reduce gun violence. 60 percent of registered voters say that they support stricter gun laws. That said, the results are nearly an even 50-50 split as to whether or not mandatory gun buyback programs should be enacted. In addition to the questions on guns, 56% of voters describe climate change as an emergency. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. Are you ready for a new experience? To see life from another point of view. New hope new expression, new joy. This is your radio hour. Welcome to Viewpoint with Father John. And welcome, friends. You are tuned to KCAA Radio, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, or on the World Wide Web at kcaaradio.com. This is Viewpoint with Father John. I am your host, Father John Reed. As a reminder, you can follow this show on both Instagram and Facebook. Just go to Viewpoint uh, with Father John, and you can click on there on the likes for that, and you can follow all the stuff we're doing. Follow us on Instagram, too, because we're getting a pretty good family there and a good following. And I like to put up videos here and there for inspiration, and if you're part of that group, you can enjoy those videos. If you're not, you can't. Well, they say you got to play to win. <laughs> there you go. Frank's looking at me through the glass like, you'll get this out. All of God's children are endowed with extraordinary purpose and ability. 
I'm on a quest to help as many as possible and fully realizing their inspired potential. Disposing a false narrative and embracing genuineness inspires clarity of purpose. My role is to help overcome self-imposed limitations in realizing one's spiritual potential. And friends, I want to tell you about a great place in Claremont called Claremont Pharmacy on the corner of Indian Hill Boulevard and Arrow Highway. There is the best pharmacy you will find in the entire Inland Empire. Uh, Dr. Nikki Ho is the owner of that establishment. And I'll tell you what, ever since I took my diabetic supply need over there, she's kept me in a good A1C. So it's the closest thing I ever had to an A from a C, but uh, <laughs> as anyone who knows me. Also, brothers and sisters, as you know, that this show is listener-supported. So please go to viewpointwithfatherjohn.com, click on the support button, and give what you can. I truly thank you for your support. Also, I'd like to invite you to buy a copy of my book, Close Your Eyes So You Can See Me. The premise of this book is that we're all God's children, and that we do not need more self-improvement. Rather, we need self-discovery. Close Your Eyes So You Can See Me is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most online bookstores. So get your copy today. And I'm very happy to have the guests we have this evening, uh, Dr. Judy Ho, she's a PhD, a triple board certified licensed clinical and forensic neuropsychologist, a tenure associate professor at Pepperdine University, and published author. Dr. Judy uh, maintains a private practice in Manhattan Beach, California, where she specializes in comprehensive neuro neuropsychological assessments and expert witness work. She regularly appears as an expert psychologist on television and other media and is currently a co-host on CBS's Face the Truth, and she's author of Stop Self-Sabotage. Doctor, welcome to the show. Hi, Father Reed. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm dyslexic, so I see all these these long words, and immediately, uh, you know, my, my tongue goes over my eye tooth, and I can't see what I'm saying. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we'll we'll have to do a couple of sessions to help me get over that. Uh, right. You have a very creative background. I mean, I, I was reading some of the information you sent me, and, and you're really quite diverse. Uh, and I, I respect that greatly. And one of the things that, that really got me to want to contact you originally was I love the idea of your book, Stop Self-Sabotage. What gave you the inspiration to write this? Well, I feel like one of the things that really drove me to write this book is just seeing how universal self-sabotage really is mm -hmm. for everyone, even successful people. Mm -hmm. And... That was really kind of the conundrum that started it all. Like, how come there are these people who are doing so well in multiple areas of life, and then there's just maybe one or two areas that they just keep falling down. They can't mm. achieve their goals, or they can't do the best that they, they, um, they should be doing. And more and more, I heard more and more of these stories, and I just realized there's got to be something here. And in my research and in my work with people, I found that, self-sabotage truly is a universal phenomenon in many mm -hmm. ways. In fact, it's biologically and evolutionarily rooted. And it's kind of like something that was actually designed for our good that got turned on its head for a little bit. And for some individuals, it's just every once in a while. And so it's not really a pattern. It's no big deal. But then for other individuals, it really does 
get in their way over and over again. Well, that's absolutely true. And in fact, um, some of the areas where we see this is people who are high power players, a lot of them wind up with sexual addiction, gambling right. addiction. Uh, right. And in fact, uh, one of the things Bill Clinton wrote in his autobiography is the fact that that was his outlet, was his sexual addiction. He spoke very openly about it. And I don't care which side of the aisle you're from. We're talking about a human being here who is talking about how they self-sabotage with that addiction. And they're not doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because there's something pulling them to it, uh, the addiction to it. Would you subscribe to that uh, school of thought? Yeah, definitely. And and I think sometimes, as you mentioned, that it feels almost inexplicable to these individuals. Like, they know that it's not good for them, and yet they do it, and then they wonder why. And then, of course, after they do it, there's a lot of guilt and shame on the other side, which then drives those feelings again. Yes. That I don't feel great, I don't, I'm not good. And then that that is one of the drivers of self-sabotage, is that sort of low self-concept. Like, there's the part of them that maybe doesn't think they deserve good things. And then when they get good things, they will end up messing it up themselves. And then when it does get messed up, they use that to fuel their original narrative. See, I knew it. I wasn't a good person and, or I'm not, I'm not able to do good things or, or, or have good things. And then it just starts to cycle all over again. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you're, you're, you're taking a fix for the wound that the fix inflicted. So you have to have more fix for that wound. It's yeah, right. it's in, insatiable, uh, appetite that it gives us and it's the one thing that's you know it's like the cookie to the diabetic i say that because i'm diabetic (laughs) and i know i shouldn't be doing it but by golly (laughs) the idea that i can't have it (laughs) other than i shouldn't have it makes a difference in the world and um now i would imagine that you see this quite a bit in your practice and you have some really outstanding credentials for what you do so you you didn't just do this overnight that's for sure uh, do you see a lot of this in your practice? Yeah, I see it in my practice. I see it among my colleagues. I see mm-hmm. it in my own family and friends circles. So I see it everywhere. And I think the people who come to me to talk about it, whether it is a patient or a colleague or a friend or a family member, mm-hmm. you know, the way that they kind of approach it is, I don't know why I do this. I mean, that's kind of how the conversation starts. And mm. then... They talk a little bit about, you know, exactly what area of life it tends to happen to them in. And in my experience, one of the most common areas that I see the self-sabotage happening is in relationships. So, yeah, like, you know, you know, because a lot of people ask me, well, what about health and diet? Well, sure, that that's always a a common one where, you know, you kind of feel like you're on a great eating plan. And all of a sudden, you know, you have like your 10 donuts and you're like, what am I doing? So that's that's (laughs) obviously a relatable, a very relatable scenario. But I think, you know, the other one that is more common and more pervasive and in some ways more damaging in the long run is is the relationships in your life, you know, how you treat your relationships and how you pursue your relationships. And you know, when somebody has these issues with, you know, self-sabotage, and I, in my book, talk about this acronym, and the acronym kind of just summarizes the four common factors in which people self-sabotage, and I mentioned one of them earlier, which is low self-concept or low self-esteem, and the whole acronym is LIFE, so L stands for low self-concept or low self-esteem, and I stands for internalized beliefs from childhood, you know, what did you learn from Mm -hmm. the adults in your life, 
And S stands for fear of change or the unknown. And finally, E stands for excessive need for control. Well, those common factors tend to play a role in how we pursue romantic relationships and Mm -hmm. other intimate relationships. Because again, that's when you have to let your guard down, you know, let another person in and all kinds of stuff will just come up. Whereas in your work, especially if you're a boss, a supervisor, you know, some of that stuff doesn't come up because you're in control and you're telling people what to do. And it's a little bit easier to navigate than when you really have to just open yourself up to getting to know somebody, you know, on, on every level. And that tends to be a place where people just mess up their progress towards having a fulfilling relationship. I agree a thousand percent. I do a lot of work in men's spirituality. In fact, I'm leading a retreat this weekend in Malibu. And this is a recurring theme. And I'll do several one-on-one counseling sessions with people. And and intimacy is very difficult, particularly if if we carry a lot of childhood trauma with us. Uh, And we don't even realize that we let people only get so close and then we have to sabotage the relationship whether it's cheating, whether it's lying, whether it's just walking away. You don't even know why you're walking away, but right. they get too close. Can you speak about that a little bit? And, and uh, how would you share with somebody the ability to recognize it and to start working towards a solution? I know that's a long question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's a, it's a very good one. So I think, you know, the, the first approach, of course, is to really let people know that, you know, really, they're not alone. This is something that, that happens to a lot of people. And earlier when I was mentioning that self-sabotage is biological and evolutionary in nature, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean by that is that, you know, all human beings have, you know, two basic drives to survive as individuals and also survive as a species, and that is to attain some kind of reward and then to avoid the threat. You know, if you are not able to attain rewards in your life, and those could be physical rewards and social rewards, and if you're not able to avoid threat, then, you know, you will no longer exist. And so there has to be a balance between, you know, achieving those rewards and avoiding threat at the same time. But in a common day, threat is not really a saber-toothed tiger anymore. Threat is often rejection or not getting the job that you want or being embarrassed, you know, all of these things that are more social and emotional in nature. And the self-sabotage, which happens when people start to prioritize avoiding threat too much. So they stop seeking things that could better them, you know, on every level, spiritually, financially, um, friendship-wise. I mean, just all of the different things that, that for somebody, you know, seeking, you know, different uh, relationships and fulfilling paths in life, that they just can kind of completely stop doing that. And so in romantic relationships, I, I really just tell people, you know, this is an area in which a lot of things get reflected back to you, you know, all of your childhood trauma, mm-hmm. whether or not you believe um, there is a greater good. Sure. Um, I have I have worked with people who, you know, we kind of talk about sort of this idea of them being a person who, even without their achievements and even without the things that they do, that they can truly be loved. And Mm -hmm. they don't believe that among human beings. And they even sometimes have a hard time believing that God loves them in that way. Sure. Um, Again, because of some of their childhood trauma, it's like they can't even, they can't even fathom that God would want to have anything to do with them. And I think when it gets to that point where you don't even believe that God might have your back, then how would you believe a human being could, you know, it's just, I think that for them, it's just too tall of an order. And so I try to get them to understand 
why sometimes the childhood trauma, the belief that you developed as a child, the fact that you kind of feel low on the inside and your self-esteem is not great, you know, all of those things can lead you to fear the unknown and change. And they could also lead you to have excessive need for control. Like if I control things, then people don't have to see this part of me. And so I really try to like get them to understand that those are the underlying drives. And then to look at their thoughts, because every single feeling and every single behavior is preceded by a thought. And if they're able to examine that thought and catch the ones that are unhealthy and unproductive, then that's going to be the first step in making change. Yes, absolutely. It's the recognition as a friend of mine used to say, in order to solve a problem, it first helps to know what the problem is. Uh, absolutely. And speaking about problems, we're coming up to our first commercial break, and, and Frank's looking at me through the glass like, if I don't go to commercial, I'll have a problem. My guest this <laughs> evening is Dr. Judy Ho, and we'll be back in two and two. The loss of a loved one is one of the most challenging experiences in a person's life. It's hard to know where to turn to make your loved one's final arrangements. Jesse Ruiz at Personal Funeral Planning in Ontario will treat you and your loved one with the respect you deserve. Jesse served in the Marine Corps in Desert Storm and understands what it takes to provide loyal, personalized, and empathetic service to those who need it most. The families of Michael Jackson, Brittany Murphy, Ed McMahon, and many others have trusted Jesse to provide them with the highest level of service and support. To work with Jesse, call 909-762-4027, 909-762-4027, or visit their website, www.4pfp.org. www.4pfp, as in personal funeral planning.org. Jesse Ruiz and Personal Funeral Planning, veteran-owned and operated, helping you plan a personal, lasting tribute for your loved one. www.4pfp.org If you are one of the millions of Californians who prefer to use affordable natural gas to heat your home and cook your food, you need to listen to this message. There are powerful national organizations and California bureaucrats who don't like natural gas or propane either. They want to prohibit Californians from using these affordable, reliable energy sources. They want Californians to rely solely on high-priced electricity. Don't let them take away your energy options. We are Californians for Balanced Energy Solutions. Californians want affordable, reliable energy options that serve their family and business needs, not electric-only mandates. Learn more about how gas is fighting climate change, reducing smog, and helping keep California's economy strong. Visit www.c4bes.org and join us. Paid for by Californians for Balanced Energy Solutions. And welcome back. You are tuned to KCAA Radio, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, and you can listen from anywhere in the world at www.kcaaradio.com. This is Viewpoint with Father John. I am your host, Father John Reed. And this evening, my guest is Dr. Judy Ho. She's a uh, board-certified, triple-board-certified clinical psychologist, forensic neuropsychologist, and a wonderful author. She's the author of the book, Stop Self-Sabotage. And when we left, we were talking about people sabotaging in their relationships. Now, you said in part of that that, you know, and you're referring to what we call the lizard mind. 
where I where I went to school. And you say we don't have to be uh, afraid of the saber tooth anymore, but I have a couple of friends that are in relationship with a couple of cougars that I think are in big trouble. So <laughs> anyhow, I just couldn't let that one go by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, my, my uh, sound engineer, uh, Frank, he is a ventriloquist. So if I say something out of line, it was probably Frank. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, doctor, tell me a little bit more about your book and, and uh what do you think is really helpful for people listening this evening that would really get a lot from reading this, this writing? Well, I think, you know, hopefully what people get from reading this book is knowing that there is a name to the problem that they're experiencing, mm-hmm. that other people are experiencing it too, um, and that there is a scientific and practical solution that they don't have to live this way, right? And I think... Mm-hmm. That's really the most important thing that I want my book to impart is that there is a solution and that it's scientifically driven. I have seen a lot of self-help books um, as a psychologist. You know, they come across my desk quite often and, <laughs> you know, patients will, will bring them to me and say, this is what I've been reading, you know, and they get really excited about it. And I think, you know, there's obviously varying levels of great and not so great self-help books, but mm-hmm. oftentimes people are inspired by self-help books because it's usually... There's, there's definitely some level of a personal story. Like people are talking about, well, this is how I've overcome it, you know, whatever problem that is laid out, and, and these are the solutions. But so much of it feels anecdotal and, and very personal. And I think sometimes they really do work for the people that read it because they, they really see themselves in it and they apply, you know, whatever advice this person is giving. And, and it works out, and that's great. But as a researcher and as a professor and as somebody who's always been into scientifically driven therapeutic techniques, mm-hmm. I really felt like what was missing in the self, self-help book market was, you know, something that was really rooted in empirical data and, and things that we know to work from, from research. And so when I started to study this phenomenon further and I realized that there are scientific solutions to this problem, and it's really about utilizing techniques that we see in, in three primary treatment modalities that I work with um, ever since the first days of my training. And those treatment modalities are cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. dialectical behavior therapy, and acceptance and commitment therapy. And they're not really three completely separate strands of treatment types. They're, they're actually really interwoven and they're kind of based upon one another. And so, you know, but it's all about sort of, you know, short-term uh, goal-oriented thinking and, again, understanding that there is control over your feelings and your behaviors, that you're not just this helpless person who has to just be this passive bystander in your life. Sure. And one of the things I, I tend to the people that come to me for counseling care uh, is helping them separate what's facts, what is a fact, and what's a feeling. Because often right. they don't realize those are two different worlds, and they think because I feel it, this must be a fact. And so uh, I would imagine you, you run across that quite a bit in your practice. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you're mentioning this now and and talking about it with the people that you work with, because not only do people think when they feel something, it must be a fact, they also um, believe that when they think something, that that's a fact. So if they have a thought that crosses their mind, oh, I'm never going to get better from this illness, or I'm never going to have a good relationship, or I'm never going to get a better job, they immediately think that that is reality. And it's not, you know, it's, it's all thoughts are just mental events. You know, they are just things that occur because of brain connections. You know, they're, they're just right. things that, that flicker across. And if you don't 
give them the weight, then they don't have to command your attention. And I, I start this conversation oftentimes by telling people that you have, you know, somewhere between 30 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Right. And clearly your brain's not paying attention to all of them, but, you know, certain thoughts will capture our attention. And then once they do, especially if they're negative, you just end up kind of going on a spiral, like kind of just catching that thought and, and ruminating on it and thinking about the worst things that could happen related to that thought. And people have a really hard time understanding that just because a thought occurred, that it isn't synonymous with the truth. Well, you know, the way I was trained is that our mind, when something negative happens, it's like it has Velcro. I mean, it, it sticks. But when something good happens, something positive, if we don't concentrate on that positive act for at least 15 seconds, it's almost like it never came through. Right. And so we have to constantly retrain our brains by concentrating. One of the things I do for that is every night I, I do a gratitude list before I go to bed. That way, last thing on my mind before hitting the sheets is that, you know, these are things I'm grateful for so that there's positive things to rewire the mind and erase right. some of the negativity. Uh, do you do stuff like that with, with some of your clients? Yeah, I definitely do. You know, I think gratitude practice is uh, very different from individual to individual. And mm -hmm. sometimes people feel like, well, I don't want to have, I don't want to feel like it's being shoved down my throat. And I get that too, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, if I hear one more gratitude practice. And I understand that. And I think that we have to meet people where they are and, yes. and find a gratitude practice that works for them. So what you suggested is a great gratitude practice that I think a lot of my patients do um, subscribe to and really get a lot of benefit out of. And, and, you know, sometimes they get stuck like, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for today. I was like, okay, but sometimes those gratitude moments are small. Right. You know, it's, it's that somebody smiled at you when you were walking past them on the sidewalk. You know, it's not, you know, something major. Not every day will there be huge major things. So, you know, I, I kind of tried to at least kind of help them reconceptualize what that, ha what that looks like. For yes. myself, you know, part of my own gratitude practice is that when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I actually do my spiritual readings. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's such, it's such a modern day now. Like, I, I just read them on my phone. There's apps where there's, you know, <laughs> Bible verses and stuff. And so, you know, I read those. But, you know, it's so funny because back in the day, of course, I had my actual physical Bible. I would take it out. But now, you know, I just read it on my phone. But honestly, that actually helps me keep that practice because my phone is always near me. So, like, right. I can always keep to that particular schedule. And, and that's what I tell people, too, you know, when they say, well, I have this gratitude practice in mind, but it involves me doing X, Y, Z, and I have to be in front of my coffee, and I have to do this. Well, that's all great, and when you have the chance to do that, great, but I also tell people that it doesn't have to always be this huge process or this huge ritual, that it can be like a lower-hanging fruit. It can literally be you, like, just, you know, counting out the three things that you're, you're thankful for that day. If you can't write them down, then count them out, like, you know, count them out on your fingers, you know, but do something so that you can keep up with that routine because that routine and that pattern is helpful for rewiring negative thinking and setting your mind in the right place. And you, you said an important thing about setting the mind. You know, the mindfulness practices are, are so important. Uh, I'm fortunate that I'm in, I'm in a tradition that I'm required to stop and do prayer and meditation a minimum of seven times a day. Most people don't have that. Right. Upon them. But my first hour in the day, and yes, I do have my cup of coffee with God every morning. I, I, I think he likes the way I 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I brew it. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but the important part of that is I know that if I skip my morning silence, my mindfulness, yeah. I feel it the rest of the day. I, I'm just off a little bit. It doesn't have to be a profound missing uh, in action, but I I found that it's become a number number one priority, not just because of what I do for a living, but because of the connection I get to give me the energy to, to meet with other people. And it sounds like yeah. you, you, you have a mindful practice of your own, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you. You know, there has been times where I've skipped the practice, maybe because I'm busy. You know, there's some days where I have to wake up at 4 a.m. Um, and right. I start work at 5 a.m. And, you know, then there's a commute. And so sometimes um, there has been times in the past where, I skip that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'll do my spiritual readings later today. You know, mm-hmm. at some point, I'll have a lunch break. I'm going to do it then. And, you know, most of the times, I never get back around to it, you know. And, and then I feel off for the rest of the day. And so now, no matter what, I'm like, you know, even if it's only five minutes, I can do it. You know, it, it, if I'm having a busy day, maybe that practice isn't going to be 15 minutes or 30. But right. if I can do, I can have five. I can do the five. And if it means waking up at 355, that I can squeeze in my readings and I do it. And I never regret that, you know? And I think that's, that's the thing about the practice. Like once you have it, you realize that it's really crucial, but before you get there and before that kind of really, you see kind of the benefits and it becomes systematic, it's very easy to fall off of the, the wagon. So sure. to speak. And so, yeah, so it takes time to develop it. But when you do, it's really nice to have that stability. And you said a very important thing in there, the ability, the ability to be flexible like if you don't have an hour to do or 15 minutes, just to do that five minutes, you know, I tell some of the people I work with, even if you just breathe for three minutes, just mm-hmm. breathe and don't worry about anything else. It will set a tone for what's ever going to come after. Right. But, but if you don't get present, you're always going to be playing catch up. And that's the idea right. of sitting is becoming present to the moment and what are your concept of that is? You know, there's, there's, 
I find it's big enough for a lot of concepts. So <laughs> right, right, absolutely. And, uh, now you also have a, a, a full practice in, in uh, Manhattan Beach, great place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what what do you like to encompass in your practice, if I may ask? So in my practice, I do almost a hundred percent neuropsychological and forensic evaluation. So as a neuropsychologist. My patients are people who are trying to understand what their diagnoses are. What is it that they're struggling with? You know, what should be the the things that they need to work on in treatment and what type of treatment do they really need? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they've been through the ringer and they've been through multiple treatments and they've had multiple diagnoses and a lot of them don't make any sense. And, (laughs) you know, it's because nobody's really sat with them and in a scientific way given them a comprehensive evaluation to actually look at what it is that they're struggling with. And so I would say that that is um, a huge part of my work. And and as part of that, as a neuropsychologist, part of the evaluations is evaluating cognitive function. And so I oftentimes will have people who one of their presenting problems is cognitive problems, whether it is an intellectual disability or learning disability or possibly some type of dementia or cognitive dysfunctions because of a traumatic brain injury. You know, these are the people that I see in my practice so that I can really assess how they're doing on all of these different areas. And again, make a recommendation, you know, first of all, is there a diagnosis here? And and if so, you know, what are the things that we can do? And the most amazing thing about the brain is that it is incredibly plastic. Like people used to think that as you get older, it becomes less plastic. And yeah, that's true to a degree, but it's amazing how even an older brain has plasticity, that there's always a chance for change. And, mm-hmm. and just even through that work, I think it gives me a lot of hope, like seeing that that's a possibility. And then when people come to me and they say, well, I've been struggling in my work, my relationship, you know, I, I don't think I can change. And I'm like, but you can, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've seen it happen and it's so physical and it's so real that um, that is something that, I, that really gives me hope, especially when I talk to patients who have run out of hope, like, oh, change is not possible. It's like, but, but it is. It's always possible no matter how old you are. Well, and we're learning so much more about the brain function. It's yeah. incredible. I, when I went through school, uh, <laughs> so many years that, that I, I could probably almost be your grandpa now. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, what we thought about, the brain then really was a whole different universe. I mean, we've come to learn yeah. so much about it. Uh, one of the late breakthroughs that I, I've really been interested in because uh, I, I was a hospice chaplain for about 10 years and dealing with Alzheimer's and, and dementia, which people don't understand, those are actually two separate diagnoses. Uh, the advanced treatment we're doing with music and particularly music that was very fond to the patient that maybe they grew up with, and just uh, the use of headphones to bring the music where they can just get lost in the music, that's bringing back some of the memory. I mean, it's not going to cure it, but it's slowing it down a little bit and bringing more recognition function. Are you doing anything with that? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, people think about, you know, the types of interventions that, that could be applied, and there's so many now which is so cool. And I think, you know, people utilize music therapy, drama therapy, art therapy, all these kind of things that we used to think of as ancillary therapies um, to to help the brain function better. And on top of that, we also have cognitive rehabilitation. You know, like 
doing basically uh, problem-solving tasks, things to train your attention. I mean, you know, in some small way, things like lumosity is sort of a, a dimension of that, you know, where you kind of practice these, uh, these skill sets through games. And, sure. and in a way, you start to train that ability up again. And so I just think that there's so many different applications and so many different ways to access the brain for change. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to learn a new language. I, I, I speak English, I speak a little bit of Aramaic, and now I'm trying to learn to speak ghetto. Um, because, sorry, bad joke. Oh. Bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I couldn't resist. So <laughs> I, I drive through San Bernardino on the way here, and so there, it's a running thing, being I grew up not far from San Bernardino, it's a little rivalry from our towns. So, <laughs> so um, be, before we go to next commercial break, you're also a professor, a, a tenured uh, associate professor at Pepperdine. Yeah. What area of psychology do you focus on in, in your teaching, if I may ask? Well, in my work at Pepperdine, I teach masters and doctoral students, and a lot of my work really focuses around psychopathology, which is like understanding the different clinical conditions and diagnoses, and also methods. You know, how do we uh, how do we approach research? Um, how do we conduct a neuropsych evaluation? Those are some of the classes that I teach. But one of my favorite classes to teach is social psychology, you know, oh. and um, that's always so fun because social psychology, I mean, those are like the cool, the cool researchers, right? I mean, back in the day, they were the ones who did those crazy studies like the Stanford Prison Study and yes. Milgram's Shock Study. I mean, they can't do that now because we have IRB. But, you know, <laughs> back in the day, they would get away with all kinds of crazy things. But, you know, they, they still do a lot of interesting studies that really highlight sort of you know, how sometimes even good people in the right conditions can, can do things that they obviously regret later. And just like, just all of these really interesting dimensions of the human mind. And, and um, one key uh, type of methodology that social psychologists utilize in their studies is deception to get at what they need to look at. And so, you know, there's a lot of interesting studies that I can talk about in this regard. But, you know, recently, I just read about a study that has been done over and over and over of um, how, how they can induce low self-esteem in people temporarily and then how that affects their romantic choices and so i know you have to go to break but like very very briefly the research study basically hangs on this idea that if you can tell somebody that they took an iq test and then you told them that their iq was very low and this is all lies you know this is not actually what their iq is nor do they actually take an iq test and then they like set up a a um, pretend condition where they're in a social environment and they look at how this person either approaches or doesn't approach as attractive people of the opposite sex. I mean, it's interesting how when you have been induced to be in this low self-esteem state, people either don't approach it at all or they will approach the low-hanging fruit. They'll approach the person who might not look very attractive and might be in the corner of the room themselves. I mean, it's just so amazing that like that can happen just by you being told that you had a low IQ score. Well, we're going to come back to this after the commercial because uh, there's a lot to unpackage here, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, you are tuned in to Viewpoint with Father John on KCAA Radio. My guest is Dr. Judy Ho, and we'll be back in two and two. The loss of a loved one is one of the most challenging experiences in a person's life. It's hard to know where to turn to make your loved one's final arrangements. Jesse Ruiz at Personal Funeral Planning in Ontario will treat you and your loved one with the respect you deserve. Jesse served in the Marine Corps in Desert Storm and understands what it takes to provide loyal, personalized, and empathetic service to those who need it most. 
The families of Michael Jackson, Brittany Murphy, Ed McMahon, and many others have trusted Jesse to provide them with the highest level of service and support. To work with Jesse, call 909-762-4027, 909-762-4027, or visit their website, www.4pfp.org. www.4pfp, as in personal funeral planning, .org. Jesse Ruiz and Personal Funeral Planning, veteran-owned and operated, helping you plan a personal, lasting tribute for your loved one. www.4pfp.org Do you know an older adult who seems to have no purpose in life? Children are grown and gone. Health problems limit a social life. Driving has become difficult. Loneliness and boredom are not unusual for older adults. One of the best gifts you can give them, or give yourself to help them, is a book titled Old Age, The Paradox of Physical Decline and Spiritual Greatness. It explains that although one's physical body is declining in old age, one's spirit is growing stronger, wiser, greater. There's new purpose and new meaning in aging. Go to Amazon.com. Look for the book titled Old Age, The Paradox of Physical Decline and Spiritual Greatness by elder care advocate and author Barbara Matthews and order it today. That's Barbara Matthews, Old Age, The Paradox of Physical Decline and Spiritual Greatness. And welcome back here to KCAA Radio, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, or anywhere in the world at kcaaradio.com. This is Viewpoint with Father John. I am your host, Father John Reed. And a quick shout out to uh, our engineer, Frank. How are you doing tonight, Frank? You, uh, you look busy in there, like you're trying to keep us on the air. That's the rule. That's the rule. <laughs> Very good. Um, I am doing pretty well. It's been an interesting week, so... Um, oh, we got our caller. You know, one moment. All right. Anyhow, so my guest this evening is uh, Dr. Judy Ho, and she's a clinical psychologist and a professor at Pepperdine. And when we left, we were talking a little bit about the fact that uh, they've done experiments with people, telling them that they had a low IQ, and then bringing them back and, and seeing how they interacted. You know, it's interesting that you would mention that because uh, when I was in elementary school, we didn't yet have the diagnosis of, uh, of dyslexia. Mm. And I had great trouble reading and see things backwards and such. And uh, instead I was diagnosed mentally retarded was the actual thing they gave me. And on all my school stuff, they put an MR on there so the teachers would know. And it wasn't until the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, I wound up getting tested by a clinical psychologist, Dr. Ron Devikoski, and he's the one who told me I had dyslexia. He says, you know, you're not supposed to be able to take an IQ test. You came out at 145, which means you have an IQ about 170 because you're not supposed to be able to take this. It, cha- it changed everything. Wow. Um, up until that point, I just believed that um, I was uh, compromised mentally. And wow. I wouldn't get the stuff. And, I, and yet, when I wound up going to college, I could hear a lecture once and recite it word for word six weeks later. Um, that's how I compensated. And did years of live theater, never read a script, but would memorize the entire play. And I never realized 
um, that that was a sign of intelligence. I just thought I was doing what I had to do to survive. So wow. I, I really believe in what you're talking about. It, it did affect all the relationships in my life. So. That's so interesting. And um, thank you so much for sharing that personal story. And I'm so glad that, you know, on the other side, you got to have this just wonderful news, but, but yet you were had to kind of undo, as you were saying, like the beliefs that you had about yourself and your skill sets. And it reminds me of one of the first cases that I worked on when I first opened my private practice almost 10 years ago. Mm. And it was, um, it was a very lovely woman gave me a call and she was telling me about her, her, her husband, her husband had, you know, been struggling with, um, you know, he was going back to school finally at the age of 30, trying to get a college degree. And he mm. just, you know, would find himself studying for Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 10 hours and was just really having a difficult time achieving good grades. And, and she's like, I, you know, the university told me that there might be a, a way for him to get accommodations and he's never had an evaluation. I just wonder if this would be something that might help him. So I met with him and it was really interesting to hear about his life trajectory because, you know, he had always thought that he was just stupid. And, you know, right. back in the day, they don't really have these like routine ways in which they start to say, something's not right. Maybe you should go for an evaluation. So no, he actually got put. Yeah, he actually got put starting in elementary school in, you know, what they used to actually call now totally politically incorrect, but they used to call the mentally retarded class. You know, he was just with these individuals who truly were compromised, you know, on their Mm -hmm. IQ, or at least some of them were. And so this is how he grew up. And it was so interesting, even the the message that his parents gave. So he was one of four children, and every single one of his siblings, when they turned 18, the parents gifted each of them with the first year of tuition for college free. Like that was sort of like the family gift. Wow. And when it, and he was the youngest. And when he turned 18, he was gifted with a car um, instead of a college tuition. And just think about what that says. though. it's sort of like, we don't expect you to go to college. So here's a car so you can get a job. Yeah. And, um, and it was so interesting. So then his first job was actually in the, um, uh, in the movie theater and he was working as a janitor and you know he did a good job he impressed the manager so the manager said you know we're gonna try to put you in the office maybe we'll have you working in the office doing some more administrative work and one of the things that he used to have to do and you might remember this is you know people would call into movie phone and you get to hear the hours and the and the play the play times of the movies yes like now now everything's listed online but you know i I remember calling in it's like oh this movie is playing at seven at eleven and they give you all the time (laughs) So anyway, that was one of his jobs, and he wasn't able to do it because, you know, he had a reading disorder. And so they would give him this, you know, very brief script to read, and he couldn't do it. And, of course, then he got put back to being a janitor. And so anyway, this lovely wife who was a researcher um, actually met him and, and just, you know, they fell in love. And he was just like, he's so full of potential. He's such a great guy. Yeah. So this was sort of his life trajectory. And, and then I give him, you know, his assessments and you know, when you do this evaluation, the, the two most basic parts of it, there's more to it, but the mo- two most basic parts that you have to assess their intelligence, mm-hmm. and then you have to assess their academic achievement. And oftentimes, if you see that there's a huge discrepancy, then there, that might be a sign that there's a learning disorder there. And right. his IQ was in the 99.9th percentile, 
you know, so he wasn't quite 170, but I think 99.9 percentile is somewhere around like 150 and up. And yes, his academic achievement was in the bottom 0.1 percentile. Right. So just imagine like living with that huge discrepancy and just this entire time just thinking that you were stupid. And I remember when I gave them the results, I mean, him and his wife like broke down crying. They were like holding each other. And, you know, she's like, and she was just like, I knew that you weren't stupid. And I hated that when you called yourself stupid. And he was like, I don't even know where to go from here because my entire life, this is what I thought. And this is what I thought my position in society was going to be. And the story ends really well because he actually ended up finishing his college degree and then he went on to get a master's degree. And um, yeah, so he's now working um, in a really wonderful field in the field of social work. And, you know, he was able to pass his master's degree and his social work uh, uh, um, test with flying colors. And he's doing great now. Oh, that's great. You know, it's it's funny because just because you get the information doesn't mean it changes overnight. I mean... I, I was even told that because of the form of dyslexia I had, that even though I, I had a high IQ, I would never be able to go to college because right. it was too severe. And my spiritual director at the time mm-hmm. said, I don't buy it. You can quit tomorrow, but you go today. He said, right. you're, you're never given a dream without being given the means to make it come true. doesn't mean there won't be work. But you right. show up, and, and so I'd call him up, and I'd say, Mike, this is too hard. I, I can't do this. He'd say, you can quit tomorrow. You get there today. <laughs> right. And, and that got me all the way through my Ph.D. I mean, it, it, uh, and still, even then, I had trouble believing that I had the intellect to be able to do that. That didn't come till much, much later with a lot, mm. of, a lot of therapy. Because I, I felt like, well, they just haven't caught on yet to how stupid I am. <laughs> you know? Sure, and, sure. I mean, yeah. well, and again, it's because of, you know, all of the things that you had believed was true before finding that out. And and I think, you know, even when he talks about sort of, you know, whether or not he makes certain friends or whether or not to even pursue his wife. I mean, his wife pursued him because he really just didn't think he was good enough for her. Sure, know? I get that. And so it's really interesting um, sort of how all of these decisions in his life could just be based on this 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 one idea that wasn't even true but um but then he almost kind of like self-reinforced it over time like just believing that it's true and acting in that way um so so i think that those messages are so important and i think that's why this social psychology study i think really is quite um you know uh quite enlightening in that way that you can induce that effect even temporarily in people who maybe generally actually have pretty good self-esteem but like the minute that they were told hey by the way you're not so smart it actually affects their romantic decisions. I mean, that it shouldn't because it's like a totally different domain, but actually it does because they kind of basically had temporarily displaced global self-esteem. You know, so it's kind of like, why well, I, I can't go up and talk to that cute girl. She wouldn't give me the time of day. So either I'm going to sit in the corner by myself or I'll talk to this girl who's also sitting in a corner and doesn't look like she's particularly, you know, uh, being sort of hunted down by other men. So sure. maybe she'd actually want to talk to me because she's kind of a loner too. I mean, so it's just interesting that even your choice of who to associate with can be related to the way that you feel about yourself. Or we, we become rescuers. And, and uh, because as long as we're rescuers, we, they're, they're with us because they're grateful for our rescuing and we don't have to rely on love. And, and that causes a lot of problems in relationships. A, a lot of people I've worked with through the years, teaching them the difference between being a rescuer and being a partner. Because there's yeah. two different worlds. And, and 
goodness, it, it's, you know, uh, you know, you, you talked about an area that's so tough with, with counseling clients, and that's the difference between should be and is. Yeah, <laughs> and right. We spend so much time on, you know, what we say woulda, coulda, shoulda, instead of what is. And when we can get over to, you know, one of the things I talk to people about is what's the reality of the situation and what's my place in that reality? And as you know, this is something that has to be practiced over and over again. So it's self-learned. Okay, what's the reality of the situation? What's my place in this reality? And um, right. because you're right, we're, we're fighting all those things. And, you know, this goes right back into your book about sabotaging ourselves uh, yeah. and learning to recognize the uh, markers of, okay, you know, right now my head's like a bad neighborhood. I shouldn't go in alone. I should right. check out this thinking a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So. Yeah, and I think that, you know, a, a lot of times we do get so trapped into these narratives and it's hard to find our way out. And that's a big part of what the message in my book is about. It's about, you know, you can find a way out. You know, what thought is just a thought and it doesn't have to be anything more than that. And sometimes people struggle with these negative thoughts and they say, well, how how do we change it? And and there are ways to change it. You know, you can come up with an alternate thought that, you know, still recognizes maybe some of the not-so-great things about the situation, but mm-hmm. also just looks at it from a more balanced mind. So, I, you know, a really quick tip I give people in terms of how to change their negative thinking is to utilize yes, but. So basically, yes, I'm having a really difficult time in school right now, but I'm starting to learn new strategies for how to study and there might be some hope that things will get better. So it's this idea of like recognizing both sides of what's going on as opposed to just going to that catastrophic thinking or beating yourself up. But sometimes even that technique doesn't work because people are like, I'm just not in the mood to even come up with an alternative. Like I kind of just want to wallow in my misery, you know, and it's hard for me to get my mind out of this original thought that I'm having that's really wreaking so much havoc. And then, then I say, well, there's still a way to deal with that. And the way to deal with that then is to change the relationship to that thought. So not mm. changing the thought itself, but changing your relationship to it. And, and what I mean by that is, again, recognizing that a thought is just a mental event. Why do you have to invest in it? And so this particular type of technique is called diffusion. And what we do is we kind of diffuse the bomb that might go off in your head if you keep entertaining this negative thought as an important or true one. And so one really simple way to access the diffusion technique is to just add a simple phrase in front of the negative thought. So if your negative thought is, I'm never going to recover from this mental illness, then you just add the clause in front of it, I'm having the thought that. So Mm -hmm. that becomes, I'm having the thought that I'm never going to recover from my mental illness. And already, just in that very brief technique that's so easy to apply, you can see how the wind gets knocked out of the sails just a little bit. That, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just having a thought that this is going to happen. It doesn't mean that it is happening, right? And in right. and, and that way, you're changing your relationship to how you deal with your thoughts. That's, that's a great approach to it. I really like that. Uh, because you're not saying, I shouldn't feel this way. You're saying, okay, this is the thought I'm having. Uh, because my, my experience has been, I'm sure you've seen this too, the more we try to deny it, the stronger it gets. <laughs> so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. And you don't want to just keep running away from your thoughts because, you know, they'll always come back <laughs> if you try to push them away. And so this is not really about pushing the thought away. It's kind of allowing the thought to exist. But 
it's in your orbit, but it doesn't have to be the center of your thinking, right? And so it's sort of like you're allowing this thought to be in the negative, um, in sort of in the background, but that the negativity of the thought doesn't have to affect your mood or your behaviors that day. And, and I think that that's really important. It's an important message for people to know that just because they have a thought doesn't mean that it actually reflects what's going on or or is a truth about them, or, or what's about to happen. You know, you're describing perfect mindfulness. When we're teaching people how to do meditation, uh, diff- there's different forms, but one of the things I work with people with is saying, don't fight the, fo- the thought. It's there. Yeah. Just observe it. You don't, have to, you don't have to grab the string that's holding on to it. You can just say, okay, that thought's going by, and just let it pass. Uh, right. There's going to be others with it. And the more you fight, the stronger that thought is, and if you just recognize, okay, I'm thinking this, it's okay. Absolutely, and I think that that's really the message that I want to give people is that it is okay. You know, the thoughts don't have to hurt you. The thoughts don't have the power to hurt you unless you give them that power. And, right. And I think a lot of times people feel like there's an urgency to act when they have this thought up here. And, and whether that urgency is, okay, I need to ruminate on this thought more, or... I have to run away from it, avoid it, numb myself with alcohol and drugs, you know, it, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be, you don't have to do that. And of course, not, not everybody numbs themselves with alcohol or drugs, but it could be sure. things like eating, junk food, social media, video games. I mean, there's so many different things in which we can escape from our mind now, but the, the escape is always temporary and it always comes with more consequences than you started. And so it's really about like not being afraid to confront negative thoughts and emotions because Another analogy I like to use is, you know, negative thoughts and emotions are like waves in the ocean. They come and they go. And if you just learn to ride them, there's no problem. But if you start to hold on to one of those things and and think that it's never going to go away or try really hard to push it away, well, then they actually linger for much longer. And another point that I talk to people about is sort of this idea of like what happiness really means in our world now. You know, I mean, we have so much social media and Mm -hmm. media messaging that happiness is the absence of negative feelings and thoughts. And it's just not true. When you think back to some of our most um, illustrious philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, all of those guys were like, no, happiness is about the pursuit of things that are valuable to us and, and what we want to be remembered by. Like, what are your values? And right. if you're going to pursue these values that you want to stand for, then, for example, like integrity and honesty. I mean, do you think if those are values that people really want to ascribe to, they're going to have an easy road? Probably not. But, you know, you you find that it's important to tolerate the distress that might come from it because that value is important to you. And in fact, almost everything that's meaningful in life and meaningful to pursue will come with ups and downs. And so you're not going to be all about the absence of negative emotions, but it's more about pursuing something that's meaningful and important to you and even when there is distress, you might feel more ready to weather it because it's truly crucial to your being. Oh, that's wonderful. How could our listeners get your book? Because we're, we're in our last 30 seconds here. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's available on That Amazon? went by so quickly. Ah. Um, it's been a really great conversation, and it was an honor to be on your show, Doc. Uh, I think one of the things that I think is really important is to talk to people about you know, how they can do things that are really helpful and, and can be something that they can do that is scientific. And the book is really all about that. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Nobles and wherever books are sold. And your listeners can also hear more about me and see more about me at my website, drjudyho.com. Fantastic. Well, doctor, thank you for being on Viewpoint with Father John. And 
shout out to Gabby who's not with us tonight. Uh, Frank did this without me having adult supervision. So Gabby, I hope uh, your class is going well. She's not here because of that. And next week, uh, my guest is going to be my older brother, Dr. Bob Reed. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, because this time I'll be in control of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, uh, and for those of you who try to get a hold of me this weekend, I will be out of town because I'm doing a retreat. KCAA Loma Linda. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.